It's finally here. The Macy's Friends and Family Sale with an extra 30% off gifts they'll love. Get an extra 25% off dressed-up designer looks for kids from Calvin Klein and more, plus an extra 25% off Samsonite and Delsey luggage. With great prices from top designers, Macy's has all the best deals you can't miss this weekend. And don't forget to sign up for a Macy's card or use a coupon to get 15% off beauty products they'll love this season. Visit Macy's.com to find great holiday deals today. Hello and welcome back to Sex, Love, and Sykes. Thank you so much for bearing with me while I get back into routine of doing these regularly. I'm just kind of doing it as I can right now. Uh, Today's episode is going to be episode 33. Can't believe it. On 2-22-22 is when I'm recording this. Some synchronicities there. Anyway, this is going to be kind of a part two to the last episode. Uh, guilt and shame. I discuss guilt and shame a little more broadly in how it can affect our lives, our insecurities, how we act, and all that. Today, I wanted to <clears throat> dive a little bit more into how this can affect our section, sex and sexuality. I would argue that sex and sexuality is the area of our existence with the most manufactured shame we have to face. Anything slightly related to our sexuality has an air of shame about it, which is why it's been made so taboo to speak about. Our bodies, our clothing, how we move and speak, kinks, STIs, how how frequently we have sex, porn, who we have sex with, when we start having sex, how much we enjoy sex, all of that. It's all so taboo and so wrapped up in the shame and guilt, and that's kind of how it keeps us in line, I guess, with this um, kind of popular discourse. One, that's one of the biggest parts of why I have chosen to go into like sex therapy and relationship counseling. We need to remove the stigma, shame, guilt, all of that, because it makes it pretty dangerous and way, way less enjoyable. It just overcomplicates things, <clears throat> in my humble opinion. So I have mentioned my sex therapy group. Uh, In that group, we discussed shame and guilt a lot. The sources of it, how it affects our experiences, sometimes even without realizing it. Like, we may just have kind of the resultant situation in mind, and we don't even realize how much that result has been influenced by shame and guilt that's been manufactured to go against us. Uh, Some of it may come from being raised in strict religious homes. There's so much in guidelines set out by some people in the church. This is not to say this is how everyone is, but this is kind of the dominating idea in the church. You may be expected not to engage in any type of sexual intimacy. Beyond that, you may even be expected not to speak about it, kind of pretend like you don't even think about it feel like you're not allowed to think about it, feel like you're going to go to hell if you even imagine having sex with someone before you're allowed. You're not even, you might not feel like you're allowed to be curious about it. Then one day you get married like a good person in that community would and you're all of a sudden expected to want it all the time, have a healthy sex life with your partner, be able to enjoy sex, just like thrive because you finally made it to that safe zone of being within a marriage. So now you're 
allowed to engage in sex, then you should probably be good at it and provide your partner with it. That's a pretty extreme switch to flip, going from not even engaging in your own self-pleasure or sexual curiosity and being ashamed of your sexuality, feeling like it's kind of damning you to hell, and then suddenly being expected to jump right into it. This is one we talked about a couple times in our group as some of us, some of the members were raised in like pretty strict Catholic homes or pretty strict Christian homes or were somehow involved in that type of a lifestyle. And a lot of the issues we were discussing actually took a lot of root in the shame that Christianity or Catholicism or whatever personal belief system had kind of pushed upon them from a young age. As I said, this is not to say that this is everyone's experience with sex and religion, but it is common enough that it's worth discussing. This is not me trying to diss any religious type people. This is just to open up some dialogue about what it can, like what that expectation of flipping that switch can kind of do to our sex and sexuality and our attitudes surrounding sex. Even without religion, many of us face concepts of shame surrounding anything remotely sexual. I know men face a lot of shame as well as people of other gender identities, but I'll be speaking mostly on the cis woman experience, as that's my identity and my experience, and the identity of most of the people I've spoken to about kind of like sex and shame. So I fully acknowledge other people might have different experiences, but I can only speak from what I know and what I've been told. We are taught from an early age that our breasts will be sexualized and that we are responsible for hiding them. We're ashamed if they're small with the itty bitty titty committee looking like a two by four, whatever other stupid judgments those teenage boys made to you in junior high but also we're also kind of ashamed when they're big because then we are that sexual object dress codes are heavily against anyone who develops faster than their peers two people wearing the same shirt could like the exact same shirt could be judged very differently depending on their breast size that happened a lot in our junior high or like long legs, etc. Um, we aren't supposed to talk about our vulvas, vaginas. We are taught cute little nicknames for them. They're criticized and made fun of if they don't look like what we see in porn. Excuse any chirping you hear in the background. That is Nora's cat toy. Um, <laughs> getting back to it. Uh, we are heavily criticized if our vaginas and vulvas don't look like what we see in porn, which is fairly frequently a surgical process or you know it's not the common experience um we're told they shouldn't be seen smelled experienced that we need to douche and shave we have this whole loose versus tight discourse that supposedly means like a loose vagina means very sexually active and promiscuous, which isn't the case. It, that means actually that you're more relaxed in that area, probably more primed for sex. Tighter doesn't necessarily mean better. But there's this discourse of like the hot dog through the hallway. Like, if you've got your girl that relaxed, that should be 
a good thing for you. That should make you feel better than worse. Oops. <laughs> this is one of the reasons I absolutely love my little vulva strawberry tattoo. Not everybody knows about it because I don't feel like explaining all this in a freaking Facebook post or answering ignorant comments, but I do have one. Um, and I do absolutely love it. I teared up on my way home from getting it just because of a lot of the personal meaning behind it for me. Um, another kind of no-win situation, kind of like the loose versus tight thing, is the Madonna horror dichotomy. Uh, some of you may have heard of this, some of you may know about it under a different title kind of thing. It's a no-win situation where women are either good and pure and chaste, or they're the bad girl promiscuous slut. But it kind of goes beyond that, where we aren't put into one or the other, we're expected to be both. So we are expected to be that innocent, pure virgin, while also being able to give the gluck gluck 9,000 from Color Daddy and have all of this sexual expertise and be this, like, object of lust and desire and how to tease their partners and all of this. Um, it kind of just creates this impossible standard uh, when you're shamed on either side. You can be that pure, innocent, virgin-type person, but you're gonna get shit for that. You can be the super experienced bad bitch. You're gonna sh get shit for that, too. So, again, it's really that no-win. Um, you shouldn't sleep with multiple partners, but you should be expert in pleasing them. You should always say yes to sex, but not if it's on the first date, because then you're a whore. But... You should say yes whenever your partner wants it. Like, there's all of these just impossible things that can't exist at the same time. They just can't. Uh, even when we remove, like, a partner from this equation of shame and sexuality, uh, there's an extreme shame around masturbation for women. There's shame around focusing on our own pleasure instead of a hypothetical partner's pleasure. Um, we get shamed for watching reading erotica or porn. It's not really ladylike. We should kind of keep that in, we should keep it a secret that we enjoy this kind of stuff because we are ladies and it's just very different from how men's masturbation is treated. Oh, oh, we're also shamed for owning sex toys, which is ridiculous to me. How dare we enjoy some self-pleasure and infringe upon someone's masculinity if the toy is bigger or stronger than they are. As I've said before, sex with a different partner and sex with a vibrator, two completely different experiences. Apples to oranges. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but men's masturbation on the other side is a lot more normalized and spoken about uh, so much so that most mainstream porn is produced by and for men, with the male orgasm signifying the end of any sexual interaction. See, even when it's two women in male-directed porn, you can kind of tell that it is focused on what a man would enjoy seeing. We are constantly, we have these jokes about, like, the teenagers using the crusty socks, etc., etc., but it's such like a normalized experience, whereas with women, it's a lot 
a lot more goes unspoken about it. We might have some similar experiences that are kind of having being brought to light now, but overall, still not really spoken about. And if it is, then that person's a whore, which doesn't even make sense. <laughs> if the only person I've had sex with is myself, that that does not make me promiscuous. And even if it did, that's my fucking decision. Um, this may make men feel more pressured to perform, like this focus on their pleasure, the idea that sex isn't over until they finish, um, and kind of all that. It can it can really pressure men to perform, which can lead to erectile dysfunction and all of that. Um, but it can also make women feel ashamed and ignored if they want to have an orgasm for themselves. Or they have to worry about making their partner come before they do. Or just their pleasure is an afterthought. Uh, there's also a lot of shame surrounding kinks. As we've discussed in previous episodes, links on kinks and all that. Uh, being too vanilla or having a kink that is less than normalized are both somehow on the same level of scandalous. Which is absolutely wild to me. Um, there's a lot of shame around kinks that harm absolutely no one. <laughs> if you are pushing your kink on someone else, non-consensually, that's obviously something else completely. But there's a lot of shame around kinks. And a lot of kinks can come from like coping with trauma or even just really enjoying something that you maybe didn't think you would. Either way, that's, that's not something you should feel ashamed over if it's all done consensually and with other cons consenting adults. Uh, next episode, I plan on diving a little bit further into shame and stigma surrounding STIs as well. I'm going to be bringing a little guest on, so prepare yourselves for that. I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a really great conversation that really needs to be normalized a lot more often. Um, but I don't want to give too much away with that, so y'all just have to tune in to the next episode. Um, but I didn't want to kind of leave this episode with just like a, oh my god, look at all this shame, look at all the problems that the shame caused. It's hard to leave it at that without providing some sort of reassurance that we can get past that, and it's not just like this this is how the world is, it sucks, but, like, I guess that's just the way life goes. I don't want to leave it on that note. One thing I learned a lot through writing a lot of my papers in university was you can bring up an argument, you can bring up every single side of an argument, but unless you provide some sort of input on some type of solution or positive thing to think of going forward, then you didn't really do much for the conversation. So, uh, how do we address all this shame and guilt? One of the biggest things for me was diving into my own biases and shame and slowly finding those sources and asking why they have manufactured all of the shame in me. Mine could be some of the religious rhetoric that I was experiencing when I was an early teenager. Um, some of it was, like, internalized homophobia as a teenager. 
a lot of confusion around confusion around my own sexual identity and some toxic relationships around that time caused me a lot of shame. Um, the environment that I was in a lot of the time where this shit just wasn't talked about. Not good or bad, but I kind of think I internalized a lot of that into being like, oh, we don't talk about this, so if I want to talk about this, that must be something I should be ashamed of. Or partners or people I've met who have pushed kind of their own internalized shame on me. Like, this is a lot of the digging that I've had to do in myself and that I've had to really kind of dig in, find the source, ask why these things are still affecting me, and I've had to really do some self-checks on not pushing that shame onto other people in my life who may have had the same experiences. I can't push my shame onto them. They could have had a completely different life experience. Another way I kind of am leading into that with that statement, my next kind of point here is making a conscious effort to let people live their own lives, especially when it has nothing to do with us. People are into some crazy shit that you may have never even thought would be a kink or have anything to do with sexual relationships or intimacy or any of that. They might be coming from a completely different background. Culturally, they might be coming from a different country where there's different practices are normalized. If that if I am not in a sexual relationship with this person, it's none of my fucking business. Even if I am in a sexual relationship with this person, the it is only my business up to the point where I am involved. If they have expressed some kinks or practices or whatever kind of mindsets and I have set my boundaries, that's the extent of how much it is of my business. They can still like whatever they like. If I don't want to be involved, I don't have to be involved. But I don't need to push my shame on them or try to make them feel ashamed for liking different things than me. And if I'm not sexually involved with that person, none of my business at all. So I kind of really challenge you. I'll be scrolling TikTok sometimes and see someone in a completely different space than me who likes completely different things. And... My implicit bias is to jump to judge them, but I have challenged myself, I challenge you to kind of take a step back and be like, wait a second, is that even any of my business at all to judge this person? Are they harming anyone else? Do I know them? Am I going to remember them 10 videos later that I've scrolled? No. So let them just, I don't have to comment. Let them be. If they're not harming anyone, they're having a good consensual time let them be. And obviously, another big thing that I always advocate for is educating ourselves properly and talking about it. Talk about this shit. Educate yourself. Look it up. Google is a vast place. There are going to be some, there's going to be some misinformation out there. It's going to start out kind of tricky learning what kind of sources to look for and what to trust and how to discern what is viable information and what's not. But get out there and educate yourselves. Ask a lot of questions. Find credible information. And if you are in a place to do so, you can ask people about that lifestyle. It is not their job to do the emotional labor and educate you. 
But if they have created an educational environment where that's kind of what they're about, absolutely ask questions. Do it in a respectful way. Don't just be like, what the, where the fuck did this come from kind of thing. Do it in a respectful way, but ask the questions. It, I've had so many Tinder conversations, especially when I worked at Love Boutique, where men would tell me their kinks almost instantly, which is, I don't recommend doing that because it's kind of rude, but I would start just digging in, asking them questions. I was like, you're going to disrespect my boundaries. Might as well learn something while I'm here. So I would ask them about their kinks that they had already told me about. Ask them why that, like, what elements of that specific can got, like, got that reaction from them, kind of where the source might be from, <laughs> if they've tried it before, if they haven't, what, ha- like, what are some pros and cons, what are some boundaries surrounding that kink, what have they learned that they like and don't like about it, um, so if someone invites you to ask questions, ask questions, otherwise, like, get out there, do your research, there's tons of resources out there, If I do wind up making this website soon, I will try to link resources as well. But that kind of wraps up everything I wanted to say. I know I went kind of quickly, and I could definitely dig deeper on a lot of these points. But I think this is a good starting point. And I'd invite you to ask me questions about anything that I have any type of knowledge on, anything podcast-related that I've talked about. Even if I don't know something, I might be able to have resources that can give you more information that are good, credible, viable uh, resources. So on that note, thank you so much for tuning in again. I swear I'm trying to get back into this routine. I will get there. I'll get back to it eventually. Um, Thank you so much. Have a great week. And bye.